Hey, hey, welcome to the Harmonics Podcast. This is Nick Chester. Yeah, I'm Nick Chester. I'm here on the Harmonics Podcast. Hi, I'm Nick Chester. Is that good enough? Does it need to be? I'm Eric Chester. Be the person to your left. Daniel Sussman. Ah! <laughs> I don't know my left from right. I'm, Matt I'm moved to China. I'm Nick Chesty. I'm moving to China. <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's pretty Welcome, everybody, back to the Harmonics Podcast. We've actually got uh, an episode with content this week. What? (laughs) We've had months where we have not been allowed to talk about the things we're working on. So we've had some fun guests and interviews, but we haven't been able to talk about things we're making as a company. But now we can! You know, I've stayed away from the podcast pretty much the entire time, and now that we're back to actually doing our jobs, I'm back. Yeah. I haven't well, been on a podcast in like stuff. two and a half months. You missed some good stuff. Pretty much when I left, the iTunes feed broke, and yeah. now I'm back. You broke our iTunes feed. So yeah, actually, our listeners probably missed all that too. Yeah. So they're right in line with us. Here's nine episodes stuff. of nonsense, followed by one episode of content. No, listen yeah. to them. Come on, listen to all of them. They're good. They're good. You start <laughs> here. Don't turn off this podcast. This don't... is the best one, though. Uh, I mean, not to say we don't have special guests. Uh, we're joined, we uh, uh, besides John Drake, Nick Chester, and Annette, who are our regulars, we're joined today with uh, Mr. Matt Bach and Mr. Daniel Sussman. What's up? Yo. And the reason we have Matt Bach and Daniel Sussman uh, is because we have just announced our newest title, Fantasia Music Evolved. In Fantasia these... colon Music yeah, Evolved. Right. <laughs> forgot the colon. Uh, Never these two gentlemen, colon, Eric. That's the thing you got to remember as you're getting older. These two gentlemen are the... Hydra's head, if a Hydra had two heads. That's not how Hydra's Of Fantasia Music like of Like a cat dog. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, uh, let's get some Cerberus. background. These... Cerberus had two heads, right? He had three. Cerberus yeah. had three heads. Everyone has three Everything heads. Everything has three heads. Anything yeah. have two heads? Two heads. No. Cat Even dog. the Monty Python thing's three heads. So these are two of the stewards of our previous franchises that you all love. So if you liked rock band hardware, Matt and Danny worked together making rock band hardware back in the day as like the respective director and sort of designer of the hardware. Ambassadors and, to China. Yeah, ambassadors to China. And uh, Daniel was our project leader on Rock Band 3, so your favorite game that you're still playing today. Daniel oversaw the big teamwork on that. And Matt has been sort of the franchise director for Dance Central, so if you're into our motion games, these are the two dudes who made those games really good, and now they're making a new game that's also really good, and you should be excited about it. It's it's like an additive property. Yeah. Their, their goodness is on top of each other. is double goodness. And so they don't phase cancel out, yeah. <laughs> Probably not going to happen. Now they're just staring at each other. Yeah. <laughs> they are facing So far, they're not talking at all, and that's been great for I me. Was, hey, guys. I was looking up what kind of monsters have two heads, and I was reminded <laughs> that uh, that Sesame Street has a two-headed monster. Yeah. yeah it, like, it looks like one side looks like Telly. The other side looks like evil Telly, pretty much. It's like how I would describe it in Sesame Street terms. But it's He's like a purple. conjoined monster. Yeah, yeah. It has like horns, that one. Yeah. Amazing. Horns, not porn, right? Well, he has horns. Horn. He has okay, horns. Cool. Just misheard you. So, Family guys. Family so, guys, show. new game. Yeah. So, so Fantasia Music Evolved. How? Let's talk about. Let's talk about this game. How long have you each been sort of? You've both been cranking on this game for like well over 
a year now. Daniel's been on it for a long time. Yeah. It's been a party, right? I've it, been on it exactly since the day I stopped working on Dead Central 3. Yes. And well, it's funny. The I mean, day we went cold. Yes. Matt's been involved since the start. He was on sort of That's this true. like very uh, select group of folks that included me, Matt, a handful of our seniors um, who were basically just like throwing ideas at a piece of paper, right? Yeah. We were whiteboarding what Fantasia could be for about a year. Yeah. Um, and it was crazy, right? It's because a pretty open-ended question. It, it, well, Disney came to us with this question. Hey, we want to make an interactive version of this like classic film, 70-plus-year-old film. And we were like, that sounds amazing, right? This could be so cool. We're all fans of the movie. We're, we're all like fans of classic Disney stuff. Yeah. And then as we got into it, we realized it was this impossibly wide possibility space, right? Yeah. It could be so many different things. So we're like, okay, well, how, you know, how do we sort of leverage the things that we're really good at and the things that we like about the film and to something that sort of matches, you know, what this thing could be? So we knew it was going to be a music game. Because mm-hmm. yes. obviously Fantasia is about the music. Yep. What we decided pretty early, and Disney Disney decided alongside us, like it was going to be a motion game. Can you talk a little bit about like why motion? Some people have been asking that question, like why motion and not instruments or something else, right? Well, I think Disney, you know, the the guys that we're working with at Disney are are like basically historians of like classic Disney stuff. And right. so like they've done a lot of research, not into... You know, they know a lot about Fantasia first, right? Just sort of the the film and, you know, the content. But then they, they did a lot of research and exposed us to a lot of the documentation that they were pulling from into that, that, that pointed at, like, what Fantasia was designed to be. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Fantasia, it's that thing with classical music. But in fact, in its time, it was this tour de force of, like, modern technology and representation of modern culture. Yep. And uh, that was really interesting to us and to Disney. And so I think they were looking at, like, what this this big what-if question. What if Fantasia had continued to evolve as it was designed to do? Walt's original vision was that it wouldn't just be a film. It would be this thing that, you know, the segmented... A piece of entertainment that every year would incorporate new pieces, new segments, new songs, new animations, uh, and new technology, uh, and just continue to evolve as a platform. Well, and I think that one of the interesting things there is that, you know, games misuse this word a lot. I think this is a lot about the sort of the feature design that maybe Matt can talk about uh, at some point, but they misuse the word, oops, they misuse the word immersive a lot, which is to say like, oh, we're going to put you in an immersive RPG world. And it's like, well, is it immersive because like there's people saying things to you and you're walking around? Like, whereas Walt's vision for Fantasia sounds from reading that, I mean, we should mention that like flush with all that Snow White money, uh, all while like had an army of transcriptionists, like following around typing everything he said for like years. Like, you know, so that every story, every meeting has notes to it. Every story meeting has notes. Every technology meeting has notes. So, the idea of like, you know, the theater, if you take yourself back to 1940 and think about like what film was like then and what projects were like then creatively, the idea of being in a, a fully synchronized color film that had sound and visual sunk together and a hundred speakers, they actually invented a new technology sort of pre-stereo called Fantasound where there were a hundred loudspeakers <laughs> where they were like zone control. So you'd hear instruments coming out of different sides of the room. It was basically like pre-IMAX IMAX. And the idea was really to make people connect to the music because it was immersive. And I think that actually, like, that word does apply to the film Fantasia. Uh, even now, if you're watching this VHS on, like, your, you know, your 1987 CRT TV, like, maybe that doesn't read as much, but the original project was meant to be immersive. And so, do, I mean, I don't know how much you've been thinking about that in the context of 
making a motion game and how much you're trying to put the player in the game and, and connecting the music that way. Well, so I guess just to finish the point, right, sure. the the idea here was that like, you know, as technology evolves, as interactive technology evolves, let's take advantage of the latest. And, and I think that, you know, the idea that we can put the player in a scenario where they're they are given the opportunity to reach out and grab music is like really exciting and and sort of born out of sort of the technological age that we live in right now so is that is that where the motion stuff comes in for you in terms of like is it about immersion is it about connection is it about music and body like where where do you as a designer where are you thinking about that stuff yeah, so I think if you think about the the history of film that predates Fantasia, like you're essentially looking at like 70 years from Fantasia back to the first film, like around that. And like in those past few decades, people were like initially just running away from film because it like there was no concept of immersion or not immersion. It's like right. you saw a train coming at you on the screen. <laughs> you're like, holy crap, <laughs> that train is going to kill me. Yeah. And like being 70 years, like 70 years later after Fantasia, right, it's like around where we're at right now. Like post Avatar. Like a lot, <laughs> a lot of the assumptions that we take for like that we take for granted now, like something will be cut perfectly synced to music. Like there's certainly plenty of animations were, were sung to music before Fantasia, but Fantasia is this tour de force of doing that. Um, and a lot of the technologies they used to actually pull that off were novel for the time. So when we're looking at trying to create an experience that's uh, that feels magical, that you know, uh, that is transcendent in some way, uh, implicating the body is just a really great way to do it. Now, we've tried you know, very hard to make all of the motion and movement within Fantasia responsive to all sorts of different types of play. Sure. So we've seen people who play it and are sort of grooving while they're doing it. We've seen people who are playing it in a very sort of percussive, uh, you know, exacting, almost combat-like way. Yeah. I think, you know, if, for for us, what we're trying to do is increase the player's connection to the music. And by doing that, not only through choices that they're making to transform sound, choices that they're making to transform the realms that they're in, we're also allowing them to transform their own movements and transform how the game is played through playing it. Sure. And that, you know, additional aspect of, of movement and reactivity is something that, you know, does increase the feeling of doing something magical, doing something uh out of the ordinary that's that really breaks your your everyday understanding and to put just a controller in front of someone like to me loses a whole bunch of cool things that we can do and cool experiences we can offer the player um that you know just become to an extent but now like everyone's held the controller it's and a barrier, done the same right? it's the same set of things with it yeah yeah i mean I, I think that that's one of the things is you know we talk about People seem to forget sometimes. I think, especially rock band fans who maybe didn't make the Dance Central leap, the and, you know, and and let's just let's just throw it out there. Like, there's a lot of gamers who are straight up like connect rejectors, right? They, they just think like because they had a bad experience in a store, or they played a game they didn't think was very well polished. They just don't think that motion gaming is the thing that that's for them. They don't think it's core. They don't think it's cool. And I, I mean, I get it. I've or at least I've heard enough that I understand like the the logic of the argument. Although I think it's just it's they've had the wrong experiences. But when we talk about being magical and talk about being connected to things like. You know, Dance Central was sort of one of the games that really broke that down in the first place. And I think one of the ways it did it was even in the first couple demos, the idea of like swiping to select something and seeing like as you put your hand out to the side and you start bringing your right hand across your body, seeing that arrow move along with you. Like I showed someone the game last night and that was here and then I were here late on sort of announcement night. And then someone came by because they were they're They're doing a study in like dance therapy and they want to see Dance Central and how it kind of works. And I was showing them the game and, you know, they had never really used a connect before and they swiped that first menu 
and they were like, it can see me, it knows what I'm doing, and it's reacting like that feels amazing. And I think that 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 feeling like being described as magical, uh, which applies in a whole different way to Fantasia, but it is a pretty important thing that especially if you don't think that connect is a thing that's for you. Like, you should really have these experiences because, like, they are pretty cool when they're done by a studio who knows what they're doing. And I think it's why we don't shy away from motion because, like, we know how to make motion feel right. Well, it's, it's about confidence in designing for the experience. Yeah. I think the vast majority of failures that I've seen in Connect design are addressing the Connect as if it was just another controller. Yep. And this whole notion of like, oh, you're going you're gonna to do a gesture and that gesture is this complex, rich thing that you're doing. We're going to boil that down to be uh, analog uh, value or more, most often sort of a digital button press. It's like right. you do this whole crazy thing and we're like, great, you pushed A. Right. Uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're not, if you're trying to take an existing paradigm and mm -hmm. just apply uh, arbitrary gestures as essentially buttons, your game will not be fun. Uh, what we've always tried to do when we're making for the Kinect is look at the Kinect and say, hey, what's this good at? Right. What can it do that other things cannot do? And design from there up, not to say, hey, we have to make uh, a real-time strategy game. How are you going to do it on Kinect? Or, hey, we have to make, like, uh, you know, two-player combat game. How can you make right. that on Kinect? We're always saying, what can Connect offer the player as a brand new experience, something they've never done before, and how are we going to use it to accomplish that? It's the same thing with iPad. I mean, the reason Infinity Blade is such a good game is because it like knows what gestures, like input gestures, work well on touch, and it doesn't try to do like dual joysticks, right? Like I actually have a lot of fun playing NBA Jam on my iPad, but it's in fact like kind of hard because it's like it wants to have a controller in my hands and it doesn't. So we're talking a lot about like cool design ideas and how we approach Fantasia. I want to do a quick level set on like what the film is and how it kind of works into what we're doing because I think that you know you've talked about some of the details so far, but I would bet a lot of our audience has the same understanding that I had when we started, which is that Fantasia is a thing I know about and I recognize the name and immediately think, oh yeah, Fantasia's cool. Like I know that Fantasia's cool. It's like one of the original Disney properties. It's awesome. Right. But like I think that people don't have as strong of an understanding of all the details in it, which I think is a great opportunity for us because it's it really means that they are connected to the idea of a musical film, but they are not they're not fully immersed in like every detail. What we saw yesterday in our announcement was that uh, uh, and we're recording this a little ahead of when it's going to go up, but like a lot of people who are hardcore Fantasia fans who do know every piece of classical music, who do know every mode of animation. But when we looked at studies, we talked to people on the road. I mean, you know, Nick and I have been on the road with Annette for a long time, sort of talking to people. Like people remember the name Fantasia. They know it has classical music in it. They usually remember the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is a huge part of our game. And so I, I, I don't want to gloss past that. But uh, but you know, there's seven other pieces inside of the the suite that is Fantasia when it released in 1940, and that's only one of them. Like they often don't remember any of the other things. Uh, like the average person, like not if you're a hardcore Disney fan, not if you're us, but like if you're the average person, you may not remember all those things. Uh, it, so to describe it a little bit, Fantasia is a movie that without other, save a few voiceover moments, has no words in it. It is not a speech movie. It's not a, a movie where there's, you know, scenes that are playing out with dialogue. Uh, it's a film experience. It's based around a concert experience. The idea is there's an orchestra playing these pieces and there are visuals that are sunk to that. Uh, the original was eight a series of eight vignettes that were, uh, you know, limited by the amount of time that the music took place to perform. And beyond that, the idea that Walt had, which I think Daniel alluded to, is that they would sub in new pieces that came online as Disney animated them, so it would be sort of a rotating concert experience. You'd go back and you'd see two of your favorite Fantasia shorts, and you'd see six new ones that would be brand new that animation had done based on contemporary music at the time, based on classical music. And this did happen a little bit. There were some additional shorts that were worked on and never integrated to a full feature release, and there was Fantasia 2000 in the 2000s, which was 
sort of an update where they did new pieces alongside. Same format. Yeah, basically. same format, but new animation. So, so that's what the idea. So is each Fantasia. part basically like its own reel of film. So that's the, that's how they could swap them in and out. I I think that they cut it into a super reel. I actually don't know the answer to that question, but I think because of the animation process it had to be a super reel that played on like one projector. It only actually ever opened in twelve theaters in its initial theatrical run. No, there's a huge sort of gap in terms of like the the vision that Walt had for it, and then and then their distribution model and sort right. of how it scalable sort of. Yeah, you know, actually burst into kind of the world. Um, but it came back in the '80s and became like the most successful VHS, VHS of all time, the most successful DVD. I mean, like you know, it's it's kind of racked up all these laser discs. Laser you know? discs, yeah. like, You know, it's it's sort of the thing that you know when people would install their home theater systems, they'd sort of like pull whatever version, the Blu-ray version of Fantasia in as like the showpiece for how, how awesome their system is. Well, and, it, and it's in that respect, it's timeless. But when people say like, what is the story of Fantasia? It's really like, you know, we, we, we didn't go back and say, I mean, from my understanding, being on the road, we didn't go back and say like, and Disney's watchword us was not make these eight vignettes into a game. So it was not like put the dancing hippos in there and put, you know, Chernabog, the devil in there. It was like, hey, the idea under Fantasia was this idea of co- an adventure in color, sound, and motion, right. which is what Walt Disney wanted to call it. It was about immersing people in an experience that made them feel connected to this music and feel connected to the world of animation and, and, and sound. And because of that, I think that we've taken it as a springboard from that original film and done something pretty different, but it's tied back in very particular ways. So people who are hardcore Fantasia fans, I know there was some a little confusion last week, and hopefully now that there's some gameplay coming out and some conversations coming out about other music we have that gets dying down, but... The idea of like we don't get Fantasia the studio, we don't get the reverence of it and the respect for it. So I, I'm wondering maybe if you want to talk about the idea of how we're connecting both with the narrative and some of the callouts in the game to what the original film is to us, and also how that maybe how, Daniel could talk about how that relates to like the idea of the game in the abstract. Yeah, so I, I think we've been we've been as reverent as we could possibly be from from my perspective and you know i think that reverence is to be true to the vision and in a lot of ways i imagine this game as being sort of like our fan fiction of what if walt's dream of this thing being cyclically released had actually happened where would we be now what would fantasia be and ask that question like you know we've seen the impact of of that that piece on culture but we didn't get to see its sort of cyclical impact and so i think we're imagining this thing that feels like a leap forward, that feels like it may be out of context, uh, but it is entirely, we think, you know, we know is derived from the source material. And to that end, uh, we give the player a really clear fantasy that is a tie back to the original film. So the player is the new the new sorcerer's apprentice. They meet Yen Sid, the, the master sorcerer and master musician in charge of all of the world of Fantasia. He, you know, might be familiar to some people who've played kingdom hearts he's also a keyblade master he is a like pretty pretty <laughs> badass guy he's yeah. like he's doing a lot of things with his life he's got a killer beard <laughs> yeah really Sick beard really awesome long beard great robe yeah great keyblade sword i don't think actually we've never seen that but um <laughs> we know he was a keyblade master yeah i don't think i don't think you ever actually see him in action but you you know from lore and his name, his name is Disney backwards, which I like. I did not get for a little while. I was on the project for a while. It's all kind of like Dinyed and like all these other. I things. also thought like, that like, we had named him. I was like, that's a weird name. <laughs> like, what? Like, can we call him the Sorcerer? Why no, are we calling him this? Like, that's his name. It spells Disney backwards. I'm like, ah. Oh. He's never. He's only ever appeared in 
Fantasia as like in terms of Disney features, yeah. right? And he's film, been in other features. games, yeah. Uh, but he's this really interesting character in the sort of Disney canon who uh, has come within the Disney culture, come to represent sort of Walt's creative vision himself. He's like an so, analog for that so idea. We, yeah. we bump into all sorts of very interesting sort of, you know, character development issues as we try to sort of write dialogue for him and, and have him be the the character that that kind of shows you the ropes and, and, and uh, instructs you in sort of your uh, magician and training sort of yeah. routine. So we should say very directly, because I think, I mean, we'll say this a little bit more at E3. We said it a lot on the press tour, Nick, but I feel like people didn't really, didn't really glom to this because we couldn't show it because we're not ready yet to show it. But like the, the gameplay is very much that like Yen Sid is your boss, like he was Mickey's boss and he's brought you into Fantasia and you're like in the workshop and going into these worlds that Yen Sid's created to learn things. Like this is very much like putting you inside the Sorcerer's Apprentice narrative of Fantasia, the movie, and expanding it to a whole new universe. Yeah, you're essentially in training and and the core fiction of the world of Fantasia is that every great musician has gone and trained with Yen Sid. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of backstory that we've written that's that's informed the script, maybe not actually in the script, but regardless, like, you know, we imagine that every amazing musician like spend some time in Fantasia anyone, anyone who's like crafting music in our world who's making these masterpieces like Hendrix has, Beethoven like, they're all hanging out there at some right, point in time. that badass they have together. to have learned from Yen Sid in the world of Fantasia because that's like what pure music creation is about yeah. and the way so how do you how does Yen Sid teach you the the idea of musical sources like how do you learn that maybe we could talk about the gameplay a little bit because we've been talking a lot about abstracts and Fantasia but in fact there's like a really cool game here that people are going to play which is awesome yeah, so when you, you first meet Yen Sid, he gives you a, an object called your muse, which is a three-dimensional cursor. And you use that three-dimensional cursor to explore a series of realms within Fantasia. And there are you know a, a bunch of realms in the, in the game. Each realm has its own uh, aesthetic and Tone. content. Yeah. So e each one will be like, oh, it's underwater, or we're also showing off a, a printing press. Um, and... Those are two of the more grounded realms. Some of them are a little more bananas, but uh, each each one of the each one of the realms is is really a like for us kind of our version of one of the shorts. Like we're trying to like a have vignette. a number of different aesthetics. Yep. So as you go into each one of those worlds, uh, you discover tons of different types of musical interactions. Uh, everything from uh, clams that allow you to make a, a jazz drum solo to fish that you can sequence into a melody. And you also find in each one of those realms uh, different songs. So through play of those different songs, you start to bring life and bring musical energy to each one of the realms. Right. And that creates more musical interactions. And within the musical interactions and within the songs, you can uh, customize the output of each one. So you can say, hey, I want to make this particular type of clam jazz solo. And you play that, and then as you're hanging out in that realm, you're essentially building the ba the background music or, or the, the score soundtrack to the game. So on some level, though, I think we've been really wary of using this word because I, don't, I think we don't want to get people the wrong idea. Uh, like someone made it, someone described it as, it's as if you're a conductor standing on like the conductor's podium, looking at it like a panorama of an orchestra in front of you. It's just that the orchestra's not made up of people holding instruments. It's made up of like these crazy toys that are made up of things that are relevant to that theme. So you're talking about the shoal in that instance. It's like, oh, there's, you know, clams over here that play jazz drum fills. There's a crab over here playing castanets and Django Reinhardt guitar. And like in the press, there's like, there's robots over here making little arpeggiator noises. There's a giant factory machine pumping out percussion. And the idea is almost like through reaching your hands out and sort of bringing this world to life, you are basically like composing and constructing an orchestra. Uh, 
And the idea, the sort of player progression is based on the idea of like, and everything you find and everything you turn on and sort of see how it works pays out this magic that is sort of a collectible that gets you through the level. But the thing that gives you the most magic and turns on more things to find is playing songs. And that's that's a whole other side. So I think that, what were the four words that we were sort of using as like the headlines for like what the experience was? Um, Do you remember that? Explore, discover, perform, and transform. Right. So, so explore and discover is sort of this idea of like finding crazy things. And there's some mirrors to that in the next thing, but I think perform is... You know, performance gameplay is sort of these songs, these contemporary songs that we have in the game. But we should talk about that because that's for people who are fans of beat match gameplay, like sort of the rock band fans uh, and even fans of Dance Central, where it's more like motion music matching versus uh, music exploration. That performance gameplay is something you've been working on a lot. I mean, do you want to talk about what that what what playing a song in Fantasia is when you start and what playing a song becomes over time? Yeah. So uh, the first experience you'll have playing a song uh, in Fantasia is a performance experience. There are these somewhat abstract cues on screen that show you which direction you need to move either one of your hands. So already there you have a fair amount of choice in how you're going to accomplish any task that's on screen. Uh, unlike a lot of other beatmatch games, our UI travels across the screen and has a sort of rich artistic visual presentation unto itself. Not on a note highway is what you mean. Exactly. Right? Yeah. No, no note highway, no static 2D scrolling HUD. Uh, it, it's It's effusive and has tons of movement we can do we can interpret things in cool ways which we've not been able to do before which yeah. is nice and it you know it keeps the player's eyes moving all around the screen there's a sort of interesting visual decoding problem just to to be able to see and and react to all the cues on screen um which creates a nice sense of difficulty uh, as you're playing each one of those cues the way in which you perform the cue will cause different reactions on screen yeah tons of different particle effects but a fair amount of ability to just customize what you're seeing by playing it so there's a series of different types of gestures. We have swipes, we have pushes, um, and you know, gestures maybe not the right word. Movement cues yeah. probably. So you're you're pushing, uh, you're doing different path gestures where you push and follow a, a, a particular line. So all sorts of different movements we're asking you to do that are sunk to the music, but the cues are sunk to the music. How you perform them is ultimately up to you. Right. And again, we've seen people do like disco style pointing to be able to get through yeah. it. We've seen people do like, you know, things that, that are like some sort of weird Mickey Mouse martial art. Um, yeah. Like Our friend or... Leo Tan said that with his karate background, uh, he was actually really concerned uh, that he was really excited about our game and he would like to tell us in advance that uh, he's mad that we had him murder his wife by accident because he's going to cry <laughs> chop to death while he's playing. We're trying to evoke, you know, the feeling of, of Mickey on the cliff, you know, yeah. controlling music. And each, each one of these, you know, uh, movement cues is tied to a particular instrument yep. and that instrument is muting and unmuting. So you're getting that same nice feeling of control over the music that you had in Rock Band. But over time, you start to unlock the ability to play different mixes of the songs. Mm. So we'll take Bohemian Rhapsody, we'll do a symphonic remix of it, we'll do like a 80s metal version Power of it. Power ballad, yeah. With double kick pedal nonsense all over it. Um, and so as you as you play any one of those, you, you hear a different version of the song and start mm -hmm. to like understand how that works. And then we'll give you the ability to actually choose all different parts. You'll just put the, the 80s metal drums in with the string section from the symphonic version, the piano from the original version. You get these transformed, unique versions of each song that you're creating as you go. Yeah. And then there's one more thing that we let you do, which is uh, use manipulators. So, so we'll be showing off a few of those, and those are more uh, directly creative. You're creating brand new parts, uh, not not as curatorial in terms of like picking parts, which is what you do with the mixes. So let's come back to that in a second, because I think there's a lot of stuff to tackle inside of performance. And I, I mean, one of the words that we've been talking about on the road, and you, and you brought it up, and I want to make sure we clarify what 
we mean by it uh, is the word abstract when it comes to like this gameplay, right? Like it's a little abstract and same thing with like motion, right? It's like you're using your hands to do this stuff. But in fact, like what we've actually done is, is basically just like, you know, in the, in the idea of like watching a note chart for drums come down the screen in rock band uh, that that's like kind of abstracted notation it's not that it's abstract and that it's confusing. Like it, it is very grounded in the game. Like these are things you're gonna learn, and it's like a language basically that we're teaching you. Like it's a language. It's like a I'm trying to think of a way to say this in a in a more concrete way. It's it's a language of uh, prompts, and we're giving you the ability to be free in your response to those prompts. We're mm-hmm. trying to develop gameplay around uh, sort of creative expression, right? Which has been a thing that the studio has tried to do like for years and years and years and years and and like I think it's actually been really exciting for the team to have a forum to actually tackle this head on and and the solution that we're sort of, that we've arrived at is is actually pretty elegant where I feel like the vocabulary that we're using to have a player transform music is is very grounded actually you know it's grounded in the gesture cues that um that Matt has developed and it's also um accessible like you know i think where rock band had this sort of fantasy of like oh i want to play guitar and i want you know and and every now and then it's like you guys are sort of on the front lines of like a community that has been pushed into hey now i'm in a band because of rock band or whatever it's still the 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 creative output through that experience doesn't change and i think that's that's the really unique thing about our gameplay here is that as you get better at the game we actually provide more tools that allow you to be creative to actually change the output in a way that's pleasing to you. So let's so let's let's drill down in the, in this expressivity and creativity. So the highest level in both discovery and performance actually on some level is this idea of sort of gesture based it like light interactions, right? So like the cues are a language you can respond to them and you can be expressive there. You can sort of add flourishes, add more energy, and the, the game should reflect that, right? Like how you interact with the game should show the the muse should move around the screen more vibrantly if you're moving fast. The cue should be more reactive. There should be more particle effects in performance. But that's all sort of like window dressing on top of things that are actually very controlled and organized and ordered and you know what the interaction is going to be. Oh, and, and our... our requires skill. Yeah. One of the most important parts of performance gameplay was make this a fun game. Make it a game that Masterful. you want to play over and over yeah. again. Make it a game that you want to compete on leaderboards on. Right. And it has that level of rigor of detection that like similar to, to our detection rigor in Dance Central yep. and difficulty of problem that you see in any any other type of, of great rhythm game. So so light expression from like interacting with things and playing the base level pulse gameplay uh on controlled systems, light expression on control systems. Step one, mm-hmm. continuing the expression path. Step two, these mixed choices, both in the world and inside the songs, where you can push things in the discovery realms to transform by turning things on and off and by unlocking these transformation keys, which bring the world to life and sort of choosing what you hear and what's active. Like a conductor would coax out more violin or say less flute. Uh, and then inside of the tr- inside of the performance gameplay, this idea of pushing the mix towards certain genres or towards certain remixes uh you know I, I guess one of the differences in things like bohemian rhapsody and uh bruno mars's locked out of heaven is that those are very much genre style changes versus something like avici's levels where it's all sort of in the world of dance music it's not really a genre shift but there's a like sort of an 8-bit bit crush remix and how would you describe the green remix in avici i actually have been struggling with that like a <laughs> spacey gothic remix yeah, almost it's like dark electro. industrial yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's on it's on the industrial side of things it's crazy sounding uh <laughs> so that's your sort of median layer but then at the, at the bottom layer uh, like the deepest layer of creativity and expression 
you sort of teased it and I think you you see it inside of Discovery Worlds the idea of like creating melodies with these fish creating drum fills with these clams this idea of like a record and playback state uh is something that like you know we've never, we've never let you do. I think that's what Daniel's talking about. When he says we've wanted to have that in our games before. We've always cut it for time and scope. Is like the idea for you to like record a thing and make it part of this music. And so inside of the worlds, we have interactions that do that. These sort of musical instruments that loop and play. But inside of actual actual performance songs, we have moments. These musical manipulators that let you either transform the music in ways that's recorded and played back, or even like actually create new things. Do you want to talk about the manipulators that we have at at E three and sort of how that lets you shape music that you can then hear back? Yeah, so we are showing off three manipulators at E3. Um, one's called the Sound Sketcher, yep. and that's you know somewhat like a like a chaos patty kind of thing. It's like an X Y uh, grid, and you can move around it and discover different sounds within it, and build all sorts of melodic phrases or move between different parts of different drum loops. Yeah. Uh, there's the effects lathe that lets you control effects parameters. The effects sculptor. Or sorry, effects sculptor. There FX you go. sculptor. Thank if you. You're, if you're transcribing um, it. Dev names. Uh, <laughs> the that allows you to control like filter parameters similar to uh, you know to some of the effects you would be able to put on your guitar uh, in the Rock Band series of games. Um, but with so, a little bit more, with almost like the whammy bar, like yeah, a little exactly. bit more like of like a dynamic control. the effects yeah. of of a Rock Band guitar with a whammy bar, but you can do that on all sorts of different tracks. You can take the vocals and put like a wah kind of thing on them, add delay by by twisting your arms, uh, and then we'll show off the. Uh, Beat Chopper. Yep. Which is I was like wondering if you were just like digging deep for that name that's not a developer name. <laughs> no, sorry, I, I had to swallow. Um it, it which is a uh a, like a sample that's sp- that's arced in a circle and then by moving your hands around different parts of that circle you're selecting little chunks of it. You can create like vocal stutters and cool like sample edit effects with it. It's super amazing for making vocal edits over dance music. And so this is a thing that you'll get in the middle of gameplay. There's sort of these unlockable prisms that show up on screen uh, that in the middle of them have a ton of musical energy. And, if, and those are sort of test moments where it's like, you know, the success and failure of the game is not that you fail out of a song and you don't get to play it. It's that the better you're doing, the more creative agency you have. So you'll actually get these manipulators by sort of getting every verti- vertex, like every edge of a, of a cube or a pyramid to sort of light up by these musical cues. And well, a, D, a D4, a D6, and a D8 are what we're showing so far. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you Nerd. what, I mean, there, there are two things that I think are important here. One is that these manipulators offer like a really satisfying moment where you are reaching out and grabbing sound and changing it and you know it's like the, the it's it's where i think our sort of connect approach really shines yeah. um the the interface is really intuitive and and really all, what we're asking you to do is you know stick your hand like the 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 uh effect sculptor is this great example for me where you you stick your hands out and you actually get a piece of art that deforms according to how far you move your hands apart. It's a lathe, but it's almost like it's almost like clay on a clay wheel. Like you can actually see it sort of shaped by what you're doing. Right. And so, you know, we're connecting sort of what your what your physical actions are to what you see and what you hear in a really direct way mm-hmm. that is really satisfying. And you you just you make music by, you know, moving around in front of the camera. I've I've noticed that this this game uh, more than definitely more than any Kinect game I've ever checked out. Not that I've played all of them. Uh, it has that third dimension element to it that I've never experienced in a game before, and specifically like that with the with the sculptor, you actually feel 
Like it's kind of there in front of you rather than on the screen in front of you. Yeah, so and we get really that cool. in the in the discovery scenes as that well. Too, you know, the fact yeah. that these are you know scenes with depth, and I think the, the idea that you can reach out into the scene and use your muse to actually affect objects in the right. scene in almost a physical way, it adds to that level of immersiveness, which is what yeah. you were talking and, about. And I think it makes your TV a window into a world instead of making your TV a plane that you are interacting like between the two of you like 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 we do with dance central where the you know characters address you directly like we do with rock band where it's you know there's a representation of you sort of facing you but it's very much about you facing the screen and sort of being a right. part of that process i i think that that's a big thing about harmonics games is that like the player is you like and some of the quotes have been a little misleading like you're not playing as mickey as a sorcerer's apprentice you're sort of filling the role that mickey had previously filled but it's about you as new sorcerer's apprentice your musical potential your expression your creativity you are in these worlds yeah. it's your music and and the choices that you make actually impact everything that you see and hear you are the musical controller you um are. so yeah and, and you aren't controlling something on screen you are controlling what you can see on screen which right. is one of those weird re reflexive pieces of insanity that's <laughs> like some people have decided that is a reasonable it's way like to fine. treat yeah. all of connect games it's like well people expect there to be a character for them to be so let's put something in front of them when they're already in front of what they're looking right. at <laughs> why would i want to play the game when i could have a puppet in front of me that blocks my view of playing the same game <laughs> That sounds like a way better UI. Wait, no, that sounds terrible. It's what are funny. you doing? Uh, you know, we have the most outrageous conversations that sort of range from like ridiculous in terms of the content that we're talking about. You know, hey, it's jazz clams and hey, it's our, like, you know, whatever. Giant sea turtle covered in coral organs. Coral, coral. The calliope. robot shrink ray is, you know, not right. doing what it's supposed to do. And then also like deep coral philosophy. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm playing my coral organ. Coral organ. Oh. Uh, organ? It's like we've gotten into Billy Corgan. Billy Corgan. <laughs> we got. We should name that turtle Billy Corgan. That's a genius idea. Move Keep on, going, Daniel. Daniel. What were you saying? The we have crazy conversations. The, there, like, I, I like. What? I get into. I, I like eavesdrop on on like Matt talking to our uh, you know other designers, other artists about the fact that we're not actually you know it's like all of our other games have been about sort of a very highly crafted experience yep. that we invite players into, right? Where you know they get we the know illusion. Cool Come hang out with cool. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and and here we're making we're making tools for a player, you know, and in fact, like that means that with all this creative agency, there's the ability to make something that like you know your parents might not like or right. you your or your roommate might not like or or whatever it is, you know that that like you know we can't be as uh as as judgmental as we have been as a as a set of developers around what that output is and that's it's it's kind of terrifying on one side and like super interesting on the other but there's a lot of deep philosophy that's sort of yeah. underpinning a lot of our creative conversation totally. yeah, there's two ways in which the game can be really rewarding like you can become really adept at the performance aspects of the game and totally own it and it's really impressive to watch someone who's really good at that just master every single cue and then the the other aspect is you can become really good at it by making really good things in yeah. it and i think we've never had a game that hit that level of creativity we had like make your move in dance central we've done in dance central 3 we've done tons of like experiments in this area but we've never given the player an ability to sort of succeed and fail from their own perspective of their own merit. Well, I think that little bit, I mean, Little Big Planet's a game that we talk about sometimes about that, where it's not 
not like Minecraft where the game is solely about building, but Little Big Planet, you can actually get really good at playing Little Big Planet, like you know, running around these cool levels, even if they're user generated. Or you can be like fine at the game, but be awesome at creating these worlds for other people to run around in. And while we're not talking about user generated content where like I'm pushing you a thing for you to perform, we are talking about the idea of like creation being a success metric in its own right. And that that's pretty rad. I mean, so we talk about creation and we talk about being good or bad at the game and and you know these ideas. A lot of people think about Fantasia as a gay, as a movie that like, you know they were plopped down in front of as kids and they had to watch and they liked it, but you know they watched it as an eight year old. They don't remember all of it. it. Some people have have reacted to the announcement to say like, oh, we're making a Connect game, which is sort of sounds like it skews young already because motion games are for kids in their mind, which is like then play Dance Central Three LCU like on the OMG leaderboards. Uh, but the the idea of like this is a game for kids or a game for families only and like. I don't know how you guys, how you guys are thinking about designing it. I, I certainly don't think of it as a game that's only for those. I think it's definitely probably one of the more welcoming games. Matt is inhaling deeply <laughs> off of something. Um, I'll tell you this. It's like I think one of the things that I'm most proud about this studio uh, is that it is absolutely impossible for us to not uh, represent who we are in the work that we do. And so, you know, whether that's, you know, kind of the the character creator and rock band or the goat's head guitar <laughs> yeah whatever you know it's like there's a lot of ryan lesser in that stuff and then you sort of look at the way our character designs are in dance central or just sort of the way that we interpret kind of that that culture it's very personal and and i think that's true here and and you know i, I think that we're making a game that you know everybody in the studio would be super psyched to play yeah. After work and, and to like finish, yeah, like, and to keep making things even after you finish the story mode. Right? You know, and I, I think we're trying to walk a line where you know it's like it, 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 this is this is a bona fide Disney product, you know, and and I think they are very, uh, you know, we we understand sort of that that this has to be accessible to a family market, and and we're psyched about that, and and on the other hand, like we think we can walk that line really delicately and and come up with like a lot of you know. It's what I love about the film, actually, is right. that, you know, the film is, you know, this thing. It's like a babysitter, right? It's like a lot of kids, like, grow up watching that that film. But then you sort of, you know, start to peel the layers away. And there's a lot of very sophisticated artwork and subject matter and yeah. content in that and film. some dark stuff, too. And some dark stuff. What's exciting to me is that this potentially is the new it is the fantasia experience for a new generation like probably before they see the movie they might play this game like i think of my nieces who have not seen the movie but they're gonna want this game and like that's such a cool thing that we get to be a part of just like it was so cool to be part of the beatles legacy now we get to be a part of the fantasia legacy right like bringing 13 year olds into the music of the beatles yeah. who play plastic guitars but don't know it i, I mean I guess on some level, that's where the mastery becomes, the mastery of that performance becomes an interesting axis for like, so, you know, will gamers like this game and why should gamers play this game? Sort of, I think, is like the high level question that we are all tap dancing around because no one ever asks it because they don't want to be offensive. But like, it's a reasonable question. Let's tackle it. Like, hey, Matt, what, if I'm a gamer who, what kind of games would I like if I like this game? And like, what would I find rewarding in this game? And, you know, not if I'm an 11 year old, but if I'm like a person who plays games on their Xbox, you know, year round. I think if you're a person who loves music and who wants to have deeper interactions with music and more creative interactions with music that are in a in a scenario where you know there's sort of low stakes but high payoff yeah. this is exactly the right type of thing to be playing. Right. There are tons of uh of points of prior art that I think were were things that you know blew up in the games community. Things like uh like DDR, mm -hmm. you know, great game 
pretty instructive game. Not much, not not much freedom uh, of changing the hard house J-pop soundtrack. Yep. Um, but a fair amount of freedom in performing it, and that's right. like when we're your looking... feet have to do X, Y, and Z, but your to- you upper body and how you get there is like left to you to express yourself. But, but yeah, I think so, one of the so other things, anything that is you know well timed like that, like that, and masterable like that is yep. is certainly an aspect of of what the game is. But ultimately, I think when I talk to gamers, when I talk to the games press, and they're like looking at this game, they're they, essentially they're all like, "Well, this is a game that I'm getting really excited about. I'm getting excited about it because it's high quality." It's a unique experience, yeah. and and that's not something I see all the no, time. And it's not I think next gen shooter. I think you know when we say movie fans, right? We're not like okay, like all all the only movies the movie fans want to see are like one slight genre of action movie. Right. And I think there's a there's a monolithic quality to things like the shooter right now that you know they're great games, yeah. but we want we want to have a broad variety of experiences. We want to watch the Avengers, but we also want to watch. Wreck It Ralph, or we want to watch Wall-E, and it's not to say that that the that any of those that like animation or or live action has like superiority over another. It's just to say that you know if you're a gamer, maybe you're bored playing the exact same types of games over and over again, and maybe there's something amazing that you could experience that's different. And that, that film fans actually often gravitate towards Pixar because it like tells stories in a way that's very classic and evocative with with the imagination and the ability with the animation to do sort of whatever world they want, right? Wally can go to space and have people trapped in a spaceship and have a tiny robot all by himself. It can you know? be about the future obesity of <laughs> right. America. Which is like really intense, but like... And like a world full of trash. And a kid can watch that, right? A, kid, a seven-year-old can watch that and enjoy it. It doesn't mean that the movie is made for seven-year-olds. It means that like it's made for everybody. But if you have a critical appreciation, if you love Journey, if you love Fez, if you mm-hmm. love the beat match of DDR and Rock Band, if you love Dance Central for the motion gameplay, like there's a million things you can find that are different access points for a gamer who appreciates the art of games, the design of games, and just like the fun of playing a game. I think Ben Kuchera said that this game is great for, you know, kids and families, gamers who love fun, and like people who use mind-altering drugs. And like, <laughs> I actually kind of think that that's sort of spot on, like well, in a weird way. I think, and I, I mean, I, we've thought a lot about sort of, you know, what the connect brings to this experience in that context. And I, and I think that, you know, we've been careful to not describe this as a dance game because right. you know it is it is really not a dance game even though you can dance as you perform yeah. like you know it's like one of the things that's been interesting as we've taken it on the road has been watching you know big burly gamer press people stand up and get lost in these worlds and like the the sort of calorie counter function of a lot of other connect experiences doesn't necessarily doesn't have to apply here and I, I I think that's really important well we've we've seen a lot of reaction from people who were intimidated by the notion of dance central like the the, the very notion of how to like step side to side while playing poker face or whatever. Well, there's like, a cultural connotation much, right? too that I think is yep. like you know potentially off putting. I'm not a people. dancer, right? And it's it's fairly physically involved. Like you get tired. Uh, here we're trying to, and we have hit a place that's that's not intimidating in the ways that uh, that that dance can be intimidating yeah. and isn't necessarily dancey. It's, it's really it's really up to you to perform it as you like, but yeah. it it can be a you know, like when Annette plays, people are always like, 
and it looks so much like Mickey on the cliff in Fantasia. And you know, funky sorceress. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that was called the funky sorceress. Awesome. Nice. I love it. And and you know, various other people around the office, you know, like point to them and like they're playing in a particular way. You can see how they think of themselves. They're robots, which is so different from Dance Central, right? Like yeah. when you're when you're watching people play Dance Central, you're seeing them try and be like Frenchie or Marcos or one of our choreographers. When you see people play this game, they're very much themselves. They're very much comfortable with what they're doing. They're succeeding because they're doing what they're doing that their truth, right? Like yeah. they're not like trying to be someone else and failing. They're being themselves. Well, and, awesome. and I think our world and our, you know, and, uh, and our, our whole environment allows people to, to, to actually lose themselves in the experience. They're not thinking about what they look like. They're just reaching out and grabbing things and, and sure. touching music. And so we, we got to wrap up because we've been, we can talk about this stuff all day, but I would say like, you know, if you're a fan of Harmonix's games, this is going to be another awesome game. If you're a fan of Fantasia, like, we know how to treat game, you know, brands with respect and, and big iconic pieces of art like the Beatles catalog with respect, Green Day. We've done a bunch of different stuff over the years. So we're really hopeful that uh, you enjoy the coverage we get out of E3. You enjoy the stuff we've done so far. And, you know, you stay tuned. We're going to be talking a lot more about Fantasia as the months go on. We have classical music. We have two-player local multiplayer. It's coming out in 2014 on Xbox <laughs> One, the X-Bone, and uh, Connect for Xbox 360. So that's, I mean, I think that's those are the high-level points, right, Pope? Where should people tune into stuff in that? You guys should go ahead, if you haven't already, and go to facebook.com slash Game. Like the page, follow us for all of the updates, and then Twitter is Twitter. Our handle will be FantasiaGame. So at FantasiaGame. At FantasiaGame. All one word. One, one word, word, no underscores, FantasiaGame. Yeah. Check it out. And that's us on Twitter and Facebook. We're posting, so if you want to ask yeah. questions, you know, we're, we're here. It is us. Matt, you were Let's about to check. say something? I was just going to add that the, the game has a conflict in it in its story. We yeah. haven't we aren't talking much about the story, but but there's there's, there's a secrets. there's a really intense climax, and and the player essentially has to save Fantasia. Great. So we'll be more coming on that down the road. <laughs> but right now, you're going to get to the Sorcerer's Apprentice and and explore and transform and learn all about musical magic, and hopefully we'll have some more people to talk about and things that we'll reveal about the story down uh, down the summer. And uh, to mention, I know you're not, but Matt is on Twitter. Matt's always really great about addressing fans yeah. uh, who have thoughts and questions. So, At Matt Bach, uh, M-A-T-T-B-O-C-H yeah. on Twitter. Hit up Matt. He's wearing his Fantasia hat right now. Yeah. I got to get one of those. Take you on the cliff. Uh, and uh, thanks, guys. What are you? All right. Thanks for joining us. You're, I'm sorry that you're now late for whatever your next meetings are, but uh, this was worth it. Check Maybe us out on the songs. Yeah, and check us out on the live stream. We'll be on, yeah. on Mondays uh, playing some Fantasia soon. And yep. otherwise, uh, stay tuned to the podcast. We'll have more interviews with other devs coming soon. Thanks. Bye.